Okay, we're ready. Okay, here's our word for the day. All right, that's the word for the day. What's that word? It's not orale. It rhymes with orale. Emune. Emune. Our emune is actually, I think, the proper pronunciation. Emune is what is often translated to the word pistis or pistos. Well, what does that word mean? Well, that word is usually translated to Spanish, fe, or English, faith, right? That's our word. That's our subject today. We're going to talk about faith. Because everything comes from faith, right? We looked at a lot of scriptures last week that it is impossible to please God without faith. That our life really, in many, many ways, depends on our faith. Our, definitely our happiness level depends on our faith. And people think that your bank account determines your happiness level. Or they think the kind of car you drive determines your happiness level. Or the clothes brands that you wear determine your happiness level. But they don't. Because all those things grow old, fade out, and they're all going to burn anyway someday. Right? There's something much more important that determines our level of happiness. And that is our faith. When someone is faithful and focused on God, they can be happy no matter what the situation is. They can be content in all situations. And that all depends on how much everything. Now I know that we know that intellectually. We say yes, amen. Well, a few of us said amen at least. But generally, maybe in our hearts we said, Amen. Amen? Amen. We know that faith is incredibly important, but we often don't realize and practically don't see. Last week we talked about demonic faith, right? Where you intellectually acknowledge something, but it doesn't change how you feel about things or certainly how you live your life. Or dead faith, where you have no actions to back up what you say you believe. You know, a few years ago, there was an article in the paper about this cross. This cross is in a public place in Oregon, and there was a big battle over it because it was government land. Should it be taken down? So the government went back and forth, and the people that wanted to keep the cross up hired a lawyer who made a very powerful argument, actually a sad argument, but his argument won the day and they were able to keep it. Because he proved to the court, he proved to the judge, that the cross was not a violation of separation of state, church and state, because the cross has become void of any significant religious meaning. It's just a symbol. It's just jewelry. It's just something people write or add or wear around their necks, but it has no specific tie to faith anymore. And because of that, and because he could prove that, that most people wear crosses and have little or no faith, most people use crosses and doesn't necessarily mean anything, he won the day. Now, it was a clever argument to keep the cross for the people who do have faith. But the fact is, the argument was sound. A lot of people have religious symbolism, but have no faith. A lot of people go to church and have no faith. A lot of people pray and have no faith. Faith 
It is incredibly important. Our whole life depends on it. You know, I'll tell you a story one time. When we had moved to Puerto Rico, and I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm Mexican-American. But, I, you know, we, went to, we got sent to Puerto Rico, and we loved Puerto Rico. And we loved the island. We loved the people. We had a great time. Man, they got great food. And, and, and we were having a great time. But, but I knew that I'm there temporary to help raise up Puerto Rican leadership. So Michelle and I are praying that, that, that we would find a couple that would be able to lead the church in Puerto Rico. And, and so we're praying this. So we actually had a prayer night in our house. We called everybody over. Let's come together and pray about who becomes a Christian the next few months. And so I, I, was, I was out doing my thing, driving my brand new little Honda and my little Civic. And I came home and I was about to get out of the car to go in the house. And I saw some shadows go by the rearview mirror. And I was like, oh, the brothers are sneaking up. They're trying to scare me. So right as they came up, I jumped out of the car and I went, boo, you know. But it wasn't the brothers. It was three young guys who had pulled their shirts up over their face. And each of them had a handgun. And they ran up to me and they stuck their handguns in my face. And they were very young. I would say the oldest was maybe 15 or 16. And they were super nervous. They were shaky. And I was like, I was scared they are going to accidentally shoot me, you know. And, and I'd already heard all these stories. I'd already heard that every single person in my neighborhood had been robbed. Everybody in my street. And, and in fact, a couple of houses down, exact same scenario. They robbed the house. They shot the dad in front of the, all the whole family. And I had Michelle and the girls inside the house. And I was thinking, I just got to get rid of them. These guys need to get out of here. So I, they started yelling at me, and they used a lot of slang. That there's, you know, there's a lot of street slang in Puerto Rico. I didn't understand a word they said. But they were pointing at my keys, and they were pointing at the car, so I figured they wanted my car. So I threw them my keys, and I said, get out of here. And meanwhile, in the background, I hear somebody yelling, we called the police, we called the police, the police are coming. You know, it was one of the neighbors down the street was screaming. And, and I said, you better get out of here because the cops are coming. And, and you better get out of here. So they picked up their, my keys and they jumped in my car and they drove off. But unfortunately, they didn't think about I don't think they, know that they knew how to drive manual. And they were like, arr, 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 you know, trying to get up the hill. And I was like, God, please protect my transmission. You know, please, please protect my car, protect my car. And, 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 um, and right as they drove off, this guy pulls up in this 1971 Mustang, mock, whatever. Big car, big wheels, big engine, cool looking guy. He goes, let's go get him. You know, and he pulled up and I go, they got guns. We don't. Let's not. Let's call the cops. Let them go get him. They got guns too. So, so, but I said, come on in, come on in. And it was him and his wife who had just moved back home with their parents. They lived a couple houses down and they were going out for a walk exactly when they saw me getting robbed. And it was her that was screaming that, you know, they called the cops. So they come in, and this really cool couple, he's a tennis instructor, she's an art student, they're cool, and I'm thinking, this is awesome, this is exactly who we were praying to meet. And they're like, you're weird, you're all excited, you just got robbed, you know? And I was like, oh, God will get my car back, don't worry about it. So we sat down, we started talking to them, we reached out to them. Long story short, they got baptized about a month later, and three years later when we moved away, they led the church in Puerto Rico. Sometimes you have no idea how God is working, but you have to have faith. 
I mean, one of the scariest, worst moments of my life led to one of the great victories of my life. We hadn't even prayed yet. The brothers came over afterwards and we prayed. And we thanked God for what happened. Because we knew that God was working and doing incredible things. You know, faith does amazing things. This is my graduation picture. Michelle and I had just moved to Mexico City. We were all of 25 years old. And we went to Mexico City. At that point, our church, we had planted one church. We had one church in Mexico City, 1987. This is what that area looks like today. That's how many churches we have across Mexico. There was, when we went, I was member number 17. There was only 17 of us. But we had faith that we would plant churches in every major city of Latin America. Crazy! 17 of us. And only two people even spoke fluent Spanish. They were Puerto Rican. And nobody could understand them because Puerto Rican Spanish is different. And the rest of us didn't even speak Spanish. I, I, my Spanish was terrible. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a new vocabulary word. What do you call a Mexican that can't speak Spanish? They're called a pocho. Right? That's a, I grew up being called pocho. Right? So I had to learn to speak Spanish in Mexico City. And here we were going to evangelize the country. Right? We learned Spanish. And all we had was a lot of faith. That God could do something. In fact, Michelle and I weren't even there that long. A year and a half later, we got sent to Miami to plant another church. And if that's why Miami's a star there, because most people don't know that Mexico City planted the church in Miami. You know, and again, it's like, what? That's backwards. We're supposed to be planting the churches there. No, but they had faith that they could plant a church in Miami. And, they, and we did. And now there's three thriving churches that are the South Florida Churches, right? Because of just faith. Not because of brilliance. Not because of education. Not because of wealth. Here's the beautiful thing about faith. You don't need any of those things to have faith. To see great things happen in your life. To be part of God's miracles and what he's trying to do in our world. But we do have to understand what faith is. That's why I go back to the Hebrew word. Because even the Greek word, which is usually what people, preachers use, is a translation of what the Hebrew concept is. What does faith mean, really? Does it mean believing in something? Yes, it does, but much more than that. It means to be steadfast. Which means you don't move, you're solid, you're determined. Steadfast is like the opposite of stubborn. Right? Stubborn, you won't move because you're mad or whatever. Steadfast is you won't move because it's right. And you'll stand by it. And you won't back off it. Because you know this is what's right. So it's kind of a godly stubbornness, right? Or loyal, that's another way to translate it. That you're devoted to somebody or something and you won't betray it. You won't quit on it. You will take this and you will stand by this. And this is really important because we live in an age of quitters. People go into relationships. They spend tens of thousands of dollars on a wedding. And then five years later, they're divorced. Or ten years later, if not five years later. 
And most of the world is getting divorced. Why? Because we don't know how to be steadfast. We don't know how to be loyal. We quit on each other. We, and it happens now in friendships. It happens in families where we just walk away and we quit on each other. This is the opposite of that. This is, look, we're family and we're sticking together through thick and thin. We will not quit on each other. You can be a turkey if you want, but I'm going to keep walking with the eagles, right? It's also about trust. Trust. And this is why it's, it's, it's putting all your eggs in one basket. It's depending on somebody because you absolutely trust them. Now, it's not the person next to you. It's Jesus we trust. Amen? It's the Lord. He said in John 14, trust in God. Trust also in me. Or your NIV says, believe in God, believe in me. I don't like that translation because I think it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Trust in God. Well, then how am I supposed to deal with all these people around me if I don't trust them? You can love them. Amen? You love them. I trust, I love my kids, but I don't trust them with my bank account. You know, I still love them. I take a bullet for them. But, but that, that's a whole different thing. And I can even trust that God is working in the church. I can trust that God is moving and that we'll get along and we'll work out our differences. Because God is good, amen? It means having your hope in something. It means that, that, that you know that if you stick to God, things will end up great. Now, it, and there's, not, there's no promise that it's going to be easy. And don't let, if anybody told you Christianity is easy, you, I give you permission to punch him in the arm. It's not easy. But it is correct. It is the way to come out on top. And we live in a world where Satan is running loose Trying to destroy everybody's lives. Not God, Satan. That's why Jesus said, pray that his will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Because it's not being done. God's will is not what's ruling the day right now. Jesus said the ruler of this world is who? Satan. So, so we, we, have to, we have to grab a hold of God and hold on to his hand, right? His what? His unchanging hand. Somebody should write a song about that, right? That we need to hang in there with God because he'll get us through. But, but that's what faith is. Believing that he earnestly rewards those who are faithful. And he always does. I, I'll stand as a testimony. You know, the early Christians were called witnesses. Why? Because of all they'd seen. Not only in their lives... But the first one saw the resurrection. They saw Jesus resurrect. They all saw him die on the cross. And then they see him on, the, on a hilltop preaching. So they were called witnesses. They testified to the resurrection that Jesus was back. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because there's a lot of great teachers out there. A lot of great religious leaders. But you can go visit their tombs. There is no tomb with Jesus. It's an empty tomb. Because he did rise from the dead. But not only them, even the second, third, and fourth generation were called witnesses because of how they've changed. And all the victories in their lives. I've been a Christian 37 years. I've been blessed incredibly because of Jesus. Well, your life's easy. My life's hard. My life has not been easy. I'll sit down and match suffering toe-to-toe with anybody. 
You know, I mean, it's, it's just been rough. And I'm sure there's people that had it rougher than me, but, but we all have it. We can't even compare because one person's suffering hurts a lot more than another person's suffering. And we can't even compare, but we all know that we go through suffering. And we all need God because of it. We all need faith, therefore. We all need faith. In Exodus 17, 12, it says, But Moses' hands grew weary. You remember this? When they were battling and they were holding up Moses' arms? His hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat upon it, and Aaron and, and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. The interesting word is the hands, his hands being steady is the word emune. In other words, they held him up. Faith is not just God holding you up. It's you holding God up. It's you holding up what is right. It's you holding up what is true. That God is good. That God blesses those who love him. And, and are faithful to him. That God can fix any problem. Can turn around any problems. Get, that God can work through any, no matter how evil. And Satan is evil sometimes. And he's causing lots of people in this world to suffer. But God is good. And he can shine through the worst darkness. But you have to, that has to be held up. And that we have to understand that. And it's an interesting thing because the same thing, the same idea carries over in the New Testament. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, when I am held up, all men will come to me. And the word in Greek is hupso, which is to lift up, to hold up, to push up, to pronounce, to proclaim. It's all the same word. So they lifted up Jesus on the cross and he died. But God raised him up from the dead. He preached to all the people and then he was lifted up to heaven, it says. All the same word. And then all the Christians went out and held up Jesus, same word. And they proclaimed him, same word. Hoopso, hoopso, hoopso. Lift it up. It's how faith is carried out. Does that make sense? So faith has everything to do with not only how God is faithful to you and what he's doing in your life, but what you're doing for him. That you're holding up the arms of your brothers and sisters. That you're holding up the cause of Christ. That you're proclaiming Jesus. All of that is an act of faith. That's what faith is. Amen? But in Luke chapter 18... We read, um, we'll start in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples, we're going to read some scriptures, is that okay? Amen. So I mean, you're going to need a Bible today. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. This is a tough dude here. He had no fear of God and he didn't care about what anybody thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For, from, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God and care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen, what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? 
Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that I tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, and here's the big question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's Jesus asking. When he comes, is he going to find faith on this planet? Is he going to find faith in our nation? Is he going to find faith in L.A.? Or maybe more the question, is he going to find faith in you, in me? That's the question he's asking. Where's your faith? What are you putting your faith in? Because everybody puts their faith in something, right? We might put it in our retirement plan. We might put it in, in stocks. We might put it in our car. We might put it in our house. We're putting it in something that's making us feel secure and solid. Maybe our looks. Maybe our clothing. Maybe our style. But what is it that we trust in? That we get confidence from. That gives us strength in hard times. Sometimes we put it, we misplace it and we put it in people. And then they let us down and we get all hurt. Not that we can't, not that we don't help each other. We do help each other. But if anything, we have to always help each other to keep our faith in God. Does that make sense? Will he find faith on earth? That was his question. Let's go back to chapter 8 of Matthew, sorry, of Matthew. Luke's good, but you can read him tomorrow. If you don't know where Matthew 8 is, it's right after Matthew 7. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. He went to him and, 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 and he understood that if, if Jesus wanted this, it could happen. And Jesus said, I am willing. You have to understand that Jesus is on your side. He wants you to succeed. Now that doesn't mean you can pray for a Ferrari and tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and there's a Ferrari in your driveway. But he knows what's best for us. And he knows what we need before we know we need it. And he's always working towards that. And what is most important is that we're with God. And that we're walking in the spirit of God. And that we're right with God. And that we have the hope of eternal salvation with God. That we have the Spirit guiding us along to deal with all this garbage that happens in this world. So God's always working towards that. So is He willing to help you? Yes. Absolutely. We can turn to Him. But we have to put our faith in Him. We have to put our faith in Jesus. We keep reading. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? 
The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and that one, he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I, I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not seen anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done as you believed it would. And his servant was healed from that moment. There's so much in there. There's so much in there. First of all, you know, it's hard to amaze Jesus. You know, we, we like to amaze each other, right? We like to impress each other. Imagine how hard it was to impress Jesus. Look, Jesus, I'm juggling ten oranges. No, it wasn't. It took a lot to impress Jesus. This guy impressed him. And what was so amazing about this is he's an Italian. He's a, he's a soldier. He's not a Jew. He didn't grow up hearing the stories of Moses rescuing his people, of Abraham, of Joseph, of, of Gideon, of, of David and the conquests, and, uh, and uh, Joshua conquering the promised land. He didn't grow up hearing any of those stories. But he still got it. You don't have to grow up religious to get it. You just have to acknowledge who is God. And if God is God, then he can do anything. And if Jesus is God in the flesh, then he can do anything. And it was just very simple to him. It's amazing to me. My, my son, I, I, I just don't usually tell stories about my kids, but this is such a good one. My, my, my son, you know, we, we were going down the, uh, uh, we, long story short, we're in Spain. My son and I are traveling across Spain. So we're going to go watch some soccer games. And there was a huge game that night. And we're on the bus and he says, Dad, do you think there's any way we can get tickets to this game? And I said, I said you know, son, they, these tickets sell out six, seven months in advance. There's no way. And he goes, but Dad, you got connections. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Dad, if you pray, it'll happen. <laughs> I'm like, wow, dude, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> so I said, let me go ask. Well, I, asked the, I asked this, and I shouldn't have done this, but I asked the driver, what's the chance of getting tickets to this game? Because we were on the bus heading right towards the stadium. And the guy laughed. He goes, oh, no, that game sold out seven months ago. So I come back up, and I'm like, son, they sold out. He goes, dad, if you pray, it'll happen. And I'm like, okay, that's a lot of pressure. All right, so I prayed. We got off the bus right in front of the stadium, ran in there, and I said to the, and I'm still doubting. I'm like, uh, to the ticket guy, I'm like, I know this is probably sold out, but do you have any tickets? He goes, yeah, we got three tickets left. And we got two seats right in the middle of the field watching the game. He just knows. Now, he's, my son's wrestling with his faith. He's not going to church right now. But he knows who God is. And he knows how powerful God is. That's like this soldier. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't need to read Hebrew and Greek. You just need to know who God is. And you need to know how powerful he is. And apply that to your situation. Look with me in chapter 9. Chapter 9. 
Let's read in verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See to it that no one, that, see that no one knows about this. So these guys come to him. What's the answer? The, the first thing Jesus says, do you believe this? Because that's always the real question. Is what do you believe? Because that's how God's going to work in your life. Not, not what I believe. Not what the people around you believe. Not what the church believes. What do you believe? Your faith. Your faith is what moves miracles to happen. Opens the door or shuts the door for them. Our faith is the lid. And we have to increase our faith. We have to stay focused, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the principle is very important. According to your faith, will it be done? Let's go to chapter 14. I told you, it's a lot of Bible, but it's okay. It's good for you. Immediately, Jesus made the the disciples get into the boat, verse 22, and go on ahead of them the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Here's a clue where you get faith, right? Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And there's a huge lesson for us. So Jesus comes and and he's walking on the water towards them, right? And they wake up, it's the middle of the night, and it's not something you normally see. So they got a little scared. And, And sometimes, you know, religion's scary. Maybe you were scared to come to church today. Maybe you were scared of what somebody's going to say. And sometimes we get scared of things we don't understand or things we don't know. But they see it's Jesus. And Peter, now you got to remember Peter. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay? If there's something not incredibly intelligent said, it's probably Peter who says it. Most likely, right? Peter's the guy you want in your group, though. You know, because when you're in a class and... And you want to ask something, but you don't want to look dumb. And then there's always that one kid that asks all the questions. And you're so thankful for that kid. Because they're the only one really brave enough or socially disconnected enough that they don't even know what everybody else is thinking. Right? And, and, and you're just thankful for them. You thank the Lord for them. Right? That was Peter in the group. He said what everybody was thinking, but knew better than saying it. Right? Or, or didn't want to say it. So he would always say things. And, and Peter... Not the smartest apostle necessarily. And, and, but he did understand 
who Jesus was. And he said, Lord, if it's you, just call me out there. I'll walk on water. He knew that much. It's all you need to know. That if it's Jesus, amazing things can happen. Incredible things can happen. If it's Jesus. And so Jesus says, come. And he starts walking. Now I think, you know, I always say that, that first step out was the scariest step. I mean, imagine getting out of the boat and stepping on water. And shifting your weight to the water. And the surprise when he's standing on the water. But I don't think that was the bravest step. I think the bravest step was the next one when he stepped away from the boat. And sometimes we'll step out a little bit on faith, but we're hanging on to our boat. Just in case this doesn't work, I'm right back in the boat. I don't want to be overly committed. I don't want to be one of those religious fanatics. I don't want to be one of those hallelujah people. I'm hanging on to the boat. No, let it go. Let the boat go. Whatever's your safety, whatever's your security. I, you can see it in worship, you know. Some of us, we're like, this is radical for us. And some of us are a little bolder, we'll go up here. And, and you know, if everybody closed their eyes, we'd be all like this. It's okay, it's all right, it's our culture, and don't feel bad. I'm not making you feel bad, just, I know how we are. We're going to play it cool, hanging on to my boat. And sometimes you just got to let the boat go. I'm going to step out on faith, and I'm not going to give a little. I'm going to give a lot and see what the Lord does. I'm going to recommit to doing this. I'm a scared. Yeah, that's a real word. A scared of, I'm a scared of leading because I got burned out last time. I'm a scared of stepping up because somebody might criticize me. What if somebody gets a bad attitude and hurts my feelings? What if I make a mistake again? Let go of the boat. Step out there. What is God saying come to you about? What is he calling you to do? I guarantee you, some of you need to lead. You have the gift of leaders. Some of you are leaders at work, but you do nothing here. Come on. We need you. We need everybody to step up. Some of you need to become leaders. All of us have to become leaders at some level. If you're leading two-year-old, you know, you're leading, right? We're all leaders at some level. Some of us have been given great talents and gifts. What are you doing with it? Are you burying it? Are you only giving it to the world? Give some up for the kingdom of God, the one who gave you that talent, the one who gave you that gift, right? we got to let go of the boat and step on out there. And, and, and don't be as scared of asking for some big things. I'm going to challenge you at the end of the sermon. Ask, start praying daily for five impossible prayers. Five things that you don't think are going to happen, but you want to happen. Start praying for it. And at the end of the year, we'll have a sharing time of all those things that happened. But you got to step out of the boat and start asking. And please don't ask for a red Ferrari. Ask for something that's valuable and useful. Right? But he let go. In his second step. But then what happened? He started looking at the wind and the waves. 
Yeah, he took his eyes off Jesus. And of course, we start sinking. When you start thinking about how much money you have or don't have or, or how much time you don't have or talents you don't have or past hurts or what if this goes wrong again or, or what if this leader does that or what if the, I mean, we start thinking about everything that could go wrong. And we will sink. But thankfully, again, Peter's brilliance, what does he do? He cries out to Jesus. When you're sinking, cry out to Jesus. Grab a hold of Jesus and hold on to that unchanging hand. Again, somebody needs to write a song about that. Hang on to him. And he came right back up again. Why is our theme eyes fixed on Jesus? Because we need to start walking in water. We need to, God wants some incredible things to happen in this church. God wants some amazing stories. People set free of drug addiction. People set free of hatred and racism and, and become loving and kind. People's marriages shining that were horrible. Old Christians who were dead and fuddy and petrified becoming young and fresh and excited and full of zeal and having, doing miracles again. People who were hiding in the closet, not wanting to serve at all, coming out and saying, I'm here, ready to serve. I didn't say coming out of the closet. I said, coming here, ready to serve, ready to give. Miracles. There's people that are high-powered in the city, pouring their lives into money and power and wealth, are going to crash at the end of their lives, regretting how they live their lives. Give them a chance to live their life in a great way. But they got to be invited to church. But they got to know about Jesus. How will they believe if no one preaches to them? And how will anybody preach if no one is sent? So we're being sent. Amen? But we got to step out. And we can't be little faiths. We can't be little faiths. This is probably the hardest thing Jesus said to them. You little faith. That was not a compliment. That was an insult. Chapter 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on me, on my son, he said. Have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is often suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. Oh, that was, ouch. You get the feeling Jesus is getting tired of lack of faith. You know, I mean, in the last one, he warned them, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out. You know, there's, every once in a while when you're reading, certain scriptures just jump out at you. Uh, it was a little while ago I was reading that, and that just jumped out at me. I, whoa, I, whoa, wait a second, I'm a subject of the kingdom. I don't want to be thrown out. Means I got to make sure I'm still walking by faith. That I haven't just slipped into a rut of unbelief. If I'm going to be in a rut, I'm going to be in a good rut, in a godly rut. There's this road, or well, many roads in Alaska, and there was a sign in the spring, the roads. They're, they're, they're very muddy, and in the summer they dry out and harden. And so the grooves are baked in. And there was a sign that said, choose your rut 
carefully. You will have to stay in it for many miles. Choose your rut carefully. What are you going to lock in your life to? What are you going to be? So, where were we? 14, right? He says, you unbelieving and perverse, ouch. Ouch. Wouldn't want that said about me. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Makes me feel better when I get frustrated sometimes. Even Jesus got frustrated. It's not a sin. But I don't want to frustrate Jesus. I don't want to frustrate God. Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy. And he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith. It's so powerful. And, and, and if you've been around a few years, you've seen people transformed radically. You've seen miracles. We get so used to miracles that they don't even impress us anymore. And we need to be impressed. Because out there, outside there in the real world, there's lots of people suffering and have no way out. There's lots of people in relationships, marriages, families, suffering with no hope. Because they don't have faith. And they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know who Jesus is. We may not know a whole lot, but we know who Jesus is. We know him. We know the one from where miracles come. Somebody I read the other day, somebody wrote, we are one generation from a world that doesn't know who Jesus is. It's happening. And you are the carriers of God's sacred word. You are the ones entrusted. You are the Ark of the Covenant. You are. Because you know who God is. And you know his word. Jesus rebuked the demon. And, and, and they, you know, they, well, why couldn't we do it? Because of their lack of faith. And, and here's another side point on this. Some demons are more intense than others. They are. And we know that. Things like addiction and other things like that. They're just way more intense than just, you know, deny yourself, bro. They require extra help. Extra faith. Extra help. And, and there are things out there that have been created to help us with these things. There's professional help. There's groups like CR. There's, there's different groups that... That God provides tools because he's provided everything we need for godliness. But even that, you got to have the faith to use them, right? And to believe that, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have a treadmill. It's a whole nother thing to actually use it, right? I'll keep moving on. Um... 
19 verse 25, and we're going to close out here. When Jesus' disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Let me back up. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Why is it so hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of God? Because they have so much. And so many things to put their hope in. To put their trust in. And before we point fingers anywhere, on a global scale, we are the rich. We are the rich. If you make more than $2 a day, you're in the wealthy category. Because most of the world lives off around 2 or $3 a day. We're the rich. We're the educated. We have a lot. Now, I don't say that to make us feel bad. God loves to bless his people. And God is not against wealth even. God made Abraham rich. God made Isaac rich. God made Jacob rich. But always with a purpose. Always with a purpose. To him who's been given much, much is what? Not expected, required. Required. You know, or to use another line, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Not Superman, Spider-Man, right? (laughs) And he says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? You ever feel like that? Man, is anybody going to make it? (laughs) Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Anybody can make it with God. You can make it. I can make it. The people around you can make it. Stubborn atheists can make it. Unbelieving people can make it. People who are so out there, you think there's no hope, they can make it. And Jesus proved that by, well, just the people that became Christians in the Bible. And we've seen it again and again. Here's a memory scripture right here. With God, all things are possible. Say that every day. With God, all things are possible. So, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Even the grace of God, which covers our sins, which covers our mistakes, which is what we all need to make it, even that comes through faith. And we all need that faith. So my closing challenge, start praying five things. Five things. Impossible prayers. What you think, what you really want to see happen, that right now feels impossible. I challenge you to pray it. And we'll talk about it at the end of the year. God bless you. Thanks again to Robert Carrillo. Appreciate that. Awesome message.